Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Now that the second half of the year is underway, we'll take stock of the U.S. economy, which has surprised most forecasters with its performance on a year-to-date basis. And then, of course, we'll spend some time discussing the investment implications to be mindful of. So joining me once again for the conversation, glad to welcome back to the CIO Strategy Snapshot, Jason Dreho head of asset allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Jason, welcome back. I know we took a bit of a pause for the summer, but there's a lot to catch up on in the markets as always. So looking forward to hearing your thinking and catching up on the podcast today. Welcome back. Good morning, Dan. It's happy Monday, happy uh, July. I know we haven't talked in a couple of weeks, so, so certainly a lot to catch up on. So with that, Jason, I want to point out to our listeners, you released a blog within the past couple of days titled Fork in the Road. Uh, that blog is now available up on UBS.com slash CIO for reference for our listeners and our clients. But within the blog, Jason, you cite that the consensus view about the economy is different now than it was expected to be the case back at the start of the year. How so? Well, if we go back to the beginning of the year, the end of last year, the consensus view was that we have a difficult first half of the year uh, and then a better second half. And that was referring specifically to the U.S. economy, that you know, the economy was slowing. It's going to go into recession probably by the second quarter, middle of the year. And then by the end of the year, start to kind of enter their kind of recovery phase. Uh, and then equity markets and risk markets will follow the same path. Then it'd be a difficult first half. It'd be a pullback. And then once you kind of see the other side of uh, the recession, the Fed is cutting rates, then you'd have upside by, by the end of the, the year. That was a pretty broad consensus view. Uh, and investors kind of, you know, positioned uh, that way. You know, they, they got a little bit more defensive. They under, underweighted you know, risk assets, underweighted equities. Um, you know, just one problem. It turned out not to be the case, right? We had a, been a better first half uh, in terms of economic growth than, uh, than people anticipated. The S&P 500 was up 16% for the first half of the year. Um, and now as we start the second half, I see that consensus view is kind of splintered into at least two, if not kind of more views. Um, I used, you know, the kind of the fork in the road analogy, that's the, hence the title of the report, that, you know, we're kind of coming to the point where, you know, either the economy kind of clearly goes down a path of, say, perhaps a soft landing, uh, or the other path of going towards a recession. And then you can kind of break that down into different degrees of recession, very mild recession, something more significant. But it, it, you know, after discussing and debating kind of all year long, you know, I think we're kind of coming to that point where, like, you know, maybe over the summer, uh, you know, we'll get some kind of clarity on that. Uh, and so a soft line, it seemed implausible at the beginning of the year, and that's why most people were in that sort of leaning towards recession camp. Now it's kind of very much on the table. So I think that's as a result of a kind of a wider range of views uh, that people are holding and we'll kind of, you know, get some clarity as we kind of pass this fork in the road. I'm thinking sometime over the course of the summer. So, Jason, I'm curious if we dig into the economic data a bit, what has it been telling us as of late and what components will ultimately determine whether a soft landing can be achieved? If we just think about uh, you know, overall economic activity, uh, the data has really been surprising to the upside all year long to various degrees, but particularly in the past, say, you know, you know, eight weeks, you know, since you know, mid, late May, and really accelerating over the past month, the data has sort of consistently surprised to the upside. And that applies to, uh, you know, consumer spending. It applies to, you know, production. It applies to sentiment indices. It applies to the labor market, you know, by and large. Uh, if you even saw, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Q1 GDP was revised higher. 
you know, the, the first estimate was around 1.4%. Now it was revised up to 2%. Uh, and then if you look at the tracking estimate for Q2, and we have a good amount of the data for, for Q2, it's tracking based on the Atlanta Fed around 2.1%. So if that holds, we're looking at 2% growth in the first half of this year, which is a far cry from a recession. It's also, you know, arguably a little bit above the Fed's estimate of uh, trend growth is around 1.8%. So we're saying it's like at least that growing a trend, maybe even slightly higher, which is not what you'd think after the Fed has hiked rates 500 basis points. And actually wants growth below your trend, you know, probably around 1%, you know, if not a little bit lower, because I believe that's what's necessary to kind of rebalance the economy and get inflation, you know, under control. So we're not seeing that in the, you know, at the economic data. There's a lot of resiliency at the board that's used a lot to describe the economy. We're seeing the, you know, the consumer hold up. And, and one of the things that sort of, you know, helps uh, increase the chance of a soft landing is that now with inflation coming down, real income is starting to rise. And so real disposable income is, is, uh, is increasing. And that's going to help. Households kind of increase their savings rates, increase their balance sheets, you know, potentially stave off a little bit of the concerns about, you know, rising things like default rates and delinquency rates and continue to consume at a, at a reasonable clip. Uh, the labor market, all the data, you know, we're getting it continues to be quite solid. Uh, the data we got last week is consistent with that. In some ways, it's ironic that we're talking about data surprises the upside. And the June payrolls report, at least the headline number, was a little bit below expectations. If consensus is 2.30, it came in at, at 2.09. This is the first time in 15 months that the number didn't beat expectations. So that tells you just how long data has been sort of surprising to the upside. Because it's done so well and because the other the labor market data earlier in the week was quite strong, I think there was a little bit of perhaps disappointment in, in the data point of, of only 209,000 jobs. But in the big picture perspective, if we are producing 200,000 jobs a month, which is above what we need to just based on net natural sort of demographic trends, that's a still a really strong, you know, labor market. So that's the, you know, the economy. The growth story is, is quite, you know, you know, decent. There is, you know, moderation. There is just, there is reasons to think that growth will slow going forward, but from a relatively you know, solid base right now. Then if we turn to the inflation, uh, we've seen steady, actually kind of rapid disinflation at the headline number this year, meaning like headline CPI. Uh, and on Wednesday, we get the June CPI data, and that headline number is expected to fall around to around 3%. And keep in mind, we peaked at 9%, you know, basically in June of last year, so pretty steady decline. There's been a lot of focus on the fact that core inflation has been stickier, has, hasn't come down as much, and this is kind of what's giving some concern that, you know, we wouldn't necessarily get a soft landing. Inflation is going to stay sticky. The Fed has to do more. But it's actually, if you look at some of the details, including like a more high-frequency measure of looking at the last three months and annualizing it for core inflation, abstracting out shelter, which is about a third of inflation, and it's expected to decline as, as rents keep coming down. That core CPI X shelter, that's been steadily declining. It's down around 3%. And the expectation, based on some leading indicators, is it could fall to around 2% for, for June. Now, that's not enough to say inflation is solved. But if we get a couple more months of data like that, inflation, you know, running at the rate of like around 3% or even a little bit less, on a, on a six-month basis, is going to give investors and the markets a lot more confidence that inflation is lower, growth is holding up, we can actually get that soft landing you know, sort of outcome. So that's kind of where the data is. That's where you know, things could trend. It's like not a guarantee. You know, inflation could disappoint. It's hard to predict. It could stay stickier than we expect. But from a narrative market momentum perspective where the soft landing has kind of gained momentum, the inflation data, at least 
this week and, and maybe over the next couple of months could also sort of reinforce some of those views. You have to wonder how the Fed is interpreting this all and the role that they'll play going forward, how the course for monetary policy might impact or influence the economic trajectory from here. We have the July Fed meeting coming up in a just a couple of weeks' time, coming off the June meeting where we saw that skip. How, Jason, might keeping rates higher for longer impact the economy or the prospects for a soft landing from here? Well, it is also kind of going back to the opening question about like, what's the outlook today say, versus the start of the year with the consensus view. The consensus view for the Fed is that they would maybe hike twice this year, you know, in the beginning of February and then in March, uh, and then be done and even start cutting based on market pricing by June or July. And now we're talking about, well, the Fed is almost certain to hike based on the data uh, at the end of this month. And then really the debate is, do they hike again in September? Do they pause in September? Maybe hike in November? The market's pricing in basically one and a half more hikes. Uh, the Fed officials, including you know, Fed Chair Jay Powell, just a week ago at a ECB you know, central bank conference, was pretty you know, strong in his language saying, you know, most committee members think we have to hike at least two more times, uh, so more than what the market is saying. So definitely a lot of tough rhetoric and, and uh, you know, expectations that the Fed will do more. Now, the fact that the market is pricing in those rate hikes would mean that the Fed really has to do more than two hikes to really kind of surprise the markets at this point in time. Uh, if the inflation data falls, as we just discussed, you know, they still almost certainly will hike at the end of this month, but I think it means any subsequent hikes are still very much kind of on the table because then they will have, relative to today, three more inflation prints by the time they meet in September and then four if they're waiting until kind of the end of October, beginning of November to make another decision. But then these inflation trends could become certainly more apparent. But that would give the Fed a chance to say, you know, we've made policy restrictive enough. Let's just keep rates higher. That's slowly going to kind of bring down inflation uh, without having to in, in, uh, incur unnecessary economic pain, you know, for the economy. So while the Fed is saying a lot, acting tough, and the market's pricing a fair amount, it is still very much data-dependent and inflation-dependent kind of going forward. Now, there is a risk that the Fed ends up doing you know, too much. Um, that's, that's a possibility. It's also possible that you know the Fed has already done enough and that the lag of monetary policy is just going to take a while to really kick in. And if they do keep rates higher for longer, eventually that will cause you know, some more economic pain. So the Fed could ultimately, ultimately still be the reason why there is a recession. If they've done enough or they keep policy too restrictive for too long, especially next year as, as inflation comes down, if inflation comes down and the policy rate doesn't change, in real terms that rate gets higher and therefore more restrictive. So you could actually see the Fed looking to cut next year just to keep the policy from getting more restrictive, which is a different story than if they cut because growth is weak. So all we can say with some confidence right now is a hike by the Fed of this month then it becomes much more data-dependent from here on in. There's still a lot to play out, Jason, from what you've been picking up on. How have investors been responding to this fork in the road, so to speak? And what is CIO recommending at the moment in the way of allocation? Well, it is an interesting sort of, and in some way, dilemma for investors uh, who came into the year again expecting this, this more bearish first half positioned accordingly. And then we witnessed the S&P up 16% to start the year. And in some cases, with some of these growth stocks and mega cap tech stocks, up 30-plus percent or far more in, in some cases. So now the question is, well, what do you do as an investor? Because the markets have performed very well. Uh, maybe they're pricing in a lot of good news already. Uh, so there's a risk that, you know, it's all priced in and there's limited upside, you know, from here. So because of that, what you've actually seen, you know, a lot of investors do is add back a little bit of risk. Uh, but in certain instead, in some cases, what they've done is buy, say, call options, 
on the market overall or individual stocks. And what that does is give you the option to kind of buy the upside or get some upside without having to be exposed by bond stock outright, which means you're exposed to the downside. So it's another way to play for sort of the market's continued kind of grind higher. And we can see in the data from mid-May until kind of towards the end of June, a big uptick in, you know, kind of call option activity. So that's consistent with investors trying to get exposure indirectly through options. That's pulled back a little bit in the past couple of weeks, I think in part because as the markets are run up, there's a little concern about how much more upside is there from here. Now, going back to this fork in the road analogy, if we have a situation where really there's a sort of two paths, a soft sun and a recession, in the sort of more recession or at least uncertain environment for you know a period of time, the markets continue to kind of be range-bound as they did for the past year. We're probably at the top of the range, and this may not be the time you want to add exposure. If, on the other hand, the data keeps coming in as it gets a soft landing, well, then you can have a more sustainable you know, run for markets, and, and the markets continue to kind of you know, grind how much case investors need to add. So I think this is where investors, even you know, pretty soon, have to make that decision. Do they want to be adding exposure or not? Well, one of the current messages that we have right now is you know, a way to kind of position for this is to do is look for the equity laggards. Because if the equity market is to continue to go higher, it's likely to be sort of a catch-up trade for those parts of the market that you didn't perform nearly as well as the 16% upside and certainly not as well as the mega-cap tech stocks. So it's a broadening out of the market. So you see a catch-up for areas like you know value stocks, things that are a little bit more cyclical, uh, something that we like is an equal-weighted index uh, as opposed to the market-cap-weighted index because that gives you like, a more dispersed you know, you know, performance for the markets. So it's a way to kind of position for this kind of potential catch-up if you get a self-landing. But if we stay range-bound, those parts of the market are already kind of priced for more kind of growth uncertainty, more so than, you know, the, the tech stocks overall. So it's a nice way to kind of balance the two at this point in time. And the other side is, you know, we've been recommending high-quality bonds. You know, they've done okay, but as rates have moved higher quite a bit recently on the back of the market pricing in more Fed action, we'd sort of think that if you look at Treasury yields, the 10-year back over 4%, the 2-year over 5%, you know, the 2-year just at a high, highest level for the past 16 years. The 10 years close to where it's peaked out of the cycle. We think, again, those yields are near the top end of their, their range. Uh, as the market's pricing in a fairly hawkish said, if that isn't fully materialized, if anything, the direction of travel is for a rate to, to kind of drift a little bit lower at this point in time. So I think, again, quality bonds at these yields still look relatively attractive. And doing this sort of as a barbell strategy not just hiding out in cash, but now that you can get over 4% for, for treasuries, 5.5% for high-quality investment-grade corporate bonds, something equivalent to tax equivalent uh, yields from unis, these are pretty attractive opportunities right now to kind of balance out your portfolio. Well, Jason, as always, very helpful guidance when it comes to positioning. The next few weeks should be very interesting as we see what plays out in the way of economic data, inflation data in particular, and then, of course, that Fed meeting coming up in a couple of weeks. So a lot coming up ahead that we'll, of course, cover here on the podcast. But as always, Jason, thank you for joining us at the start of another week, setting it up for us and looking forward to picking back up with our conversation again next Monday. You're welcome and have a great week. And again, today we have been joined by Jason Dreho, the head of asset allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. As a reminder to our listeners and our clients of UBS, we have been referencing Jason Dreho's most recent blog. That title is Fork in the Road. The blog is now available up on UBS.com slash CIO for your reference. If you are a client of UBS, just reach out to your UBS financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy 
of Jason's blog directly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.